Hey, y'all. Yeah. Uh, welcome to another episode of DFV. We took a little bit of a week break there, a little bit of a, a week to recharge, but uh, now we're back, and uh, I'm your co-host, Black Cinephile. And I'm your co-host, Brad. There's your co-host, Brad. And uh, today we got a great one, man. Today we got a, a, a multiverse anime showdown here. So this is uh this is one that Brad has been uh he's been waiting on a long time for us to do this. Yeah, this one came out uh just last year in Japan and it finally got an English subtitle translation through Crunchyroll. So we're going to be talking t- about to every you I've loved before and to the only me who loved you, which both movies have kind of a parallel with each other where it's kind of a multiversal movie where each is taking place in a different universe with the same central theme. And the big thing with it is the creator of both of these, uh, Yamoji Atano, has said that depending on which you watch first completely changes your aspect or the way that you perceive the characters by the time you're watching the second movie. So Mm. in effort of testing this theory, uh, both Black Cinephile and I have watched the movies in separate order (laughs) to see if it actually changed our perspective on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I started off with To Every You I Loved Before. Uh, Brad did To The Only Me Who Loved You. Um, hey, well, Brad started off with To The Only Me first and then did To Every You. I did mm-hmm. To Every You, then went To The Only Me. Yes. So this is based on like a light novel series. It actually has three books. Uh, so far, only two of the books were adapted to an anime adaptation. I don't think there's been any announcement on the third one getting an adaptation as of yet, but uh, there is still a third technical movie that takes place in the same kind of realm of uh, the multiverse of these movies. But with both of these movies coming out at the same time, it, it makes for a great double feature episode. So I had to pitch it up and yeah, here we are. Yeah, I, I, listen, uh, when you brought this up to me, um, I always love like going on adventures, right? I always love a, a choose your adventure type of thing or a mm-hmm. choose your story adventure type of thing, right? So when I saw this uh, and I was like, you know what, this this might be kind of fun. You know, I remember uh, Brad and I were talking and I said, okay, which order you want to go? He was like, uh, I'm going to go to the only me first. I was like, you sure? You sure you don't want to do conventional and I do the other one? He goes, um... Yeah, I want to go to to the only me first. <laughs> yeah, I, I basically when they basically present it as here's the movies and everybody orders them this way. And then the creator goes, you can watch them in either order and they'll change the events. It's like, OK, I'm going to do the opposite because I want to get that other side of the viewpoint from watching this than most people would get from watching it in the order that everybody kind of presents it as. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, All right. I mean, I'm ready to start this thing. Uh, Now, we usually do things uh, in non-chronological order. So, I mean, with this one, it's a toss up, but I guess we can just start with to every you. Yeah, I think in the effort of fairness, uh, everybody always lists to every you I've loved before as the first of the two movies, even though they can be swapped. We might as well just start there. All right. Well done. Well done. All right, so we're going to start off with To Every You I've Loved Before, um, directed by, uh, I hope I'm saying this right, uh, June uh, Masu- Masumoto. Um, 
So basically, this film starts off with um, a young man uh, named uh, Kuyomi, uh, who, uh, you know, whose parents have a divorce and uh, he has to choose which parents he has to stay with. Uh, this is a running theme throughout the two films. So in this world, in this film, he chooses his mama, uh, his mom and his grandparents and their dog, uh, uh, Yumo. You know, you know. Uh, yeah. So when he does that, you know, he um he kind of has like a little awkward stature. So, he, you know, he un- he enrolls in a prep school. He's unable to make friends until one day he meets a woman named uh, Kazuni. And uh, Kazuni tells him that, uh, you know, um, she she traveled in this world. It should be known that uh, people are are able to routinely swing between different parallel worlds. Um, it's a mechanism that isn't really like it's being studied at the time, but it's not really like going public yet. But people are able to do it. Um, one day, uh, Kuyomi ends up in another parallel world. Uh, then comes back to his world and um, he meets Kazuni, who tells him that she's uh, from the 85th world where uh, her and uh, Kuyomi are lovers. And that kind of is where this adventure uh, all begins, uh, so to speak. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to summarize this film without telling the film. Right. Uh, obviously, we're going to get into spoilers with this one because. Th- right, right, right. It, when it comes down to the descriptions of both of these films, they're so bare bones and they literally just describe the first maybe like 10 to 15 minutes of each film. And then everything beyond that is just completely off the wall spoilers for both films. Mm. But yeah, that's that's the basic plot synopsis of where this movie starts so with me starting this off this is me being introduced to this world i'm introduced to kiyomi i'm introduced to kasuni um and someone that doesn't really become more important until the other film that you're going to introduce uh i miss i'm introduced vaguely to uh shiori or shiori shiori uh who be, who in the beginning when uh, Kiyomi is an older man, when he's an old man, he sees her as a uh, kind of a ghost on a cross sidewalk. Um, so starting this off, man, I, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, I, when you said multiverse film, I said, OK, I'll, I'll check this out and see how this goes. Now, with this one, I like the I like the interaction between him and Kazuni when they're younger. And uh, he tried, he I like how the multiple times um he, he kind of realizes that the only reason she's reaching out to him is because um uh is he better than her in class? Is yeah, that, is that- so basically he's like a prodigy in terms of his mm-hmm. intelligence where he basically effortlessly aces every exam. He's able to calculate answers that nobody else in the class can get to. He basically is just very well-rounded when it comes to his knowledge, which puts him at the highest point in basically every class that he's in which kind of Mm -hmm. extradites him from everybody else because everybody kind of sees him as, you know, the just class, uh, you know, a plus student. There's nothing interesting about him. He's just really good at academics. So, and Kazuni is literally the second ring in everything that every class that they're in. So the entire time that they're taking tests and everything, he always scores 100. She'll score like a 95. She's always just one step below him, and it irritates her. But Mm -hmm. another point from it that uh, I don't know if you catch was she also continually mentions the uh, Kiyomi that saved her from a dog attack 
And that's talking about the uh, when Luna gets off her leash near the beginning of the film. Oh, okay. So, okay. So, so when that happened, um, and when I watched the second film, that kind of showed what happened when um, Kiyomi came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't see you know nowhere near her. Now I saw her looking at the dog as the dog was running away, and Kiyomi was uh chasing after the dog. But I didn't see anything about you know like attacking her. Are we now, just supposed to? Are we just go ahead? It was more of a like it, there was a big dog coming kind of toward her, and then oh. all of a sudden he came in, you know, and the dog re-diverted and came to him and everything like that. Oh, so it was that kind makes of like the sense. the. Okay. You know, knight in shining armor. There was a giant beast coming after me. You know, when really mm. the dog was just running, and she just perceived it as, "Oh, it was coming after me, and you saved me," kind of thing. Gotcha, and gotcha. Okay, there was that as well. But I, I love how she first kind of like talks to him as if they do know each other and everything. Like she plays the entire thing very well when it comes mm. to the 85 steps kind of thing from their universe because it is revealed that she did not come from 85 universes over. She faked the entire thing in order to get his attention to see what his reaction would be and what he would do by going, you're, you need to ignore me after this. You know, you need to keep acting like everything's the same. And he did that and eventually did reach out to her to see if it was still her or his universe, World Zero's version of her. And eventually came to the conclusion, oh, so she got back home and everything. And it, I love that interaction. That interaction was kind of cute with, you know, him going, well, do you want to be friends? Because apparently in that universe, you know, we were lovers. But do, do you want to be friends in this <laughs> universe? And right. she just falls to the ground laughing as she reveals that she made up the entire thing. There was never a parallel shift or anything like that from 85 universes over or anything I, like that. I thought that was a cruel joke. It was a cruel joke, but it, yeah. the reactions to it were cute. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, I don't know, man. Some of these anime romances kind of like they kind of like fall on my deaf ears sometimes. I'm like, that's a cruel way to you know, mess with somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do like how the, as it goes on, he keeps trying to ask her out. Like at one point they're singing karaoke and he tries to ask her out. Oh, yeah. Like he goes, Hey, uh, I was wondering if you were not, not interested. <laughs> yeah. His friends are no. outside the door laughing. Right. Then his friends are outside the door laughing. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, seeing them kind of grow up together and everything is great because they start this study group in order for her to like get better at the studies and get back to his level. She also helps him in some of the academic traits that he's kind of lacking in. I think one of them was like modern Japanese uh, literature. And by doing that, other people eventually start getting into the group because they need help with their studies and everything. And it becomes like a friends group with a collection of them. I kind of wish we would have gotten to see more of that because it's kind of just, you know, hey, we had these other friends. What were their names? Yeah. Not important. Moving along. Yeah. The movie, yeah. The movie does kind of skate along. Um, I got to say, I, I think this movie is stronger when it focuses on his relationship with his mother 
um, and his and his grand, especially his granddad and um and the dog. So basically, in this universe, um, he's playing with a toy that his dad got him. It's a toy gun. So at some point, you know, he's playing around, pointing at the dog. He he's not going to shoot the dog, but he's just playing around. Mm-hmm. Grandfather takes the gun and says, "Uh, you know, you're not old enough for this. Uh, this says ten years old. You're eight. He says, but but dad got that for me. He's no, but he says everyone else is using it. He says, well, you shouldn't fall in other people's bad habits. So he goes, um, you know, his mama asks him, hey, what's wrong? And he goes, you know, I never want to talk to granddad again. Cut to later on, granddad actually does die. Uh, we assume the natural causes, and uh, you know it's it's a, it's a it's an empty air in the um, in the home. So when he takes you know out for a, for a walk, um, this is before you know was about to charge at a uh, Kasuni, mm-hmm. uh, which you know caused the knight in shining armor thing. He gets transported to a parallel world. Um, we meet. Uh, we don't know who she is yet, but we meet Shori, who comes up to the thing and uh, is shocked to see him there, and then kind of runs away. And he realizes in this world, um, granddad's still alive, but you know is dead. Uh, so I thought that was a pretty nice switch. I, I thought that was a nice switch, and it was it was a nice character development moment where he talks with his granddad, and he he uh, basically apologizes to him for the way he acted about the whole gun, and uh, his granddad kind of gives him a lesson uh, about something. But uh, I thought that was a nice scene. Yeah, it's a very nice scene, especially because. You know, this is his opportunity to say goodbye to his grandfather because it, prior to the parallel shift in his world, World Zero, it, his grandfather is dead now. You know, the wake is happening later that evening and everything like mm-hmm. that. This gives him that opportunity to say goodbye. And as soon as he falls asleep, he ends up parallel shifting back to his world where he wakes up. And has to deal with the consequences of, yeah, his grandfather is passed on in this world. So it kind of does have that nice moment at the beginning. It doesn't really have too much of a bearing on his choices in the future, though. I wish it kind of did have a little bit more weight. Yeah, same. Yeah, because... Go on. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that we'll get into the second film, but I feel like in contrast to the second film... um, I, I didn't see much. This film is a romance, but I feel like it. There's there's t- points where it starts to go somewhere interesting, like the scene where um him and Kazuni are you know they're adults now, uh mm-hmm. they're married and they have a child, and they they take the child to some event that happens, and all of a sudden something something bad is happening. There's a madman going around stabbing people, so uh you know uh of course Kayomi stops him. But then he gets a quick moment where his son gets stabbed and gets harmed. But then, oh, wait a minute. It was a nightmare. And I was like, well, was that another universe or the film doesn't really explain that? Like, do you. So was that it it is a little bit explained because you have. So after that happens and everything, we find out that there was a parallel shift because they're monitoring like different worlds and everything. Parallel shifts between world zero, one and two happen intermediately throughout the day it's always explained in the both movies that basically think of the time that you put something somewhere you looked it wasn't there and you kind of like turned around and then you looked again and it was there again that's you going between worlds one two and zero where something could be a minute difference and you kind of just don't recognize that you actually shifted from one universe to the next but Mm -hmm. with the event of happening at 
this kind of park when there it was uh who what it was their son yayo that uh i thought that was her daughter i thought that was their, their daughter was it their daughter because they yeah because they should well no I it was their son was. they have a granddaughter oh okay yeah. it's their granddaughter that we kind of see at the very beginning of the movie when they're older but it's their son during uh this part of the movie and we see where there's that happenstance where the killer ends up stabbing their son and running off and killing him. But we get that with the Kazuni where she from the universe where that happens parallel shifts to their universe. Three, 13 steps of ground. Ah, okay. That's where that makes sense. she grabs him. They leave. They go to that one place that he was drawing and everything like that. And they're having that conversation because that's that world's Kazuni. That's the one where he did die. And basically coming to terms with that. It's I think that's actually a pretty powerful moment in the film in terms of like a psychological aspect of just you have the ability to shift to another reality. And if you're in a reality that something terrible happens, what's stopping you from going to a reality where that didn't happen? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, it's one of those like kind of things that the movie I think does right with it, with her going, I don't want to go back. I don't, you know, why do I deserve this? Why is it me that gets this, you know, reality instead of any other version of me? Why am I the one that has to suffer? And she switches back places with the other one. And I liked how they also kind of explain away that the person that comes back after that parallel shift isn't technically still that world zero. It's technically she's somewhere between a a zero and one step because she's now experienced stuff in another reality that the world zero would have never experienced. So mm-hmm. she is slightly still different than the original that left due to the parallel shift. Mm-hmm. And it's it for a movie that plays very lightly with its sci-fi aspects. It does actually go pretty deep into certain parts of it, which mm-hmm. it, it does. It, I love that part, but it, it makes it a little bit less so when it kind of goes, oh, yeah, and then this is just some sci-fi stuff. And it's like, but you went so in-depth with, like, describing this part and everything like that, and you're just going to brush this part aside? I think it tries to just keep a balancing act, and it doesn't want to go too over the top for its audiences. Like, like okay, so take for inception, uh, take for exception uh, Interstellar. So Interstellar has some pretty good physics in there. They got some pretty good moments where, you know, a lot of physics talk is happening, but it's not thrown at you overboard because there's still a great story of a father uh, traveling through time and space to get back to his daughter. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think they're, they they were trying to have a balancing act, but it didn't, it didn't balance out so well. Yeah. They're tiptoeing a line and sometimes it works. Other times it kind of doesn't, but Mm. I, in terms of when the movie is working, I think that was one scene where it worked really well. Basically, from the point that like he leaves for work and he, they get the warning that uh, parallel shift, or what was it called? An operational shift when it was a meaningful shift, not an accidental one? I, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and they get a warning that that happened and it was targeting, you know, his wife and everything. So he immediately goes home. He finds that she's not there. He finds out where they are and everything. And then 
finds out, yeah, this is a parallel version of his wife going through mm-hmm. this thing and everything. And it's like, that's that's good. I like that. That's an interesting way to play with the whole parallel universes, the choices of everything that comes, you know, and goes with it. it right. Done well. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's done well as well. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, so you being you and you started off with to the only me and you came to this. So coming from to the only me to this, what what was your perception? Like what 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 changed for you? Uh, for me, I, it, it's hard to think of like what would be different if I watched it the other way around. Obviously, there is a lot more mystery with to every you I've loved before with not knowing what's going on with things in the beginning, with things going on in the middle of the movie and everything. Like, they explain uh-huh. paradigm shifts, but you don't understand why it's happening to this version of uh, Kiyomi. And we do get that explanation into the only me who loved you. So by seeing that one first, I did have a little bit more background information with that. Mm. And a couple other scenes kind of like clicked into place a little bit that I'm sure that there's some scenes into the only me who loved you that I missed because I watched that one first. Because okay. I know that there's like a scene in to every you that I loved. If you remember when they were like on the subway together and Kiyomi has like a spark of, you know, information and he starts writing on his sleeve and eventually he's taking notes on the rest of his jacket and you can eventually right. see them running off the subway and like the backs of their jackets are just covered in notes uh-huh. from this train ride. They pass the street that uh, Shiori's ghost is on because they do the whole like panning shot with the statue and everything and then stop on the street for a moment before they continue running off. And it's like, that's something I don't know if you caught on to that because to your first playthrough, that. that street means nothing. That statue means nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To my play first playthrough, it doesn't mean anything. Um, I only caught on to Shiori in the beginning when yeah. when Ki- when Kiyomi is an old man and kind of kind of tries to grab her hand. Um, yeah, no, I didn't catch on to that. Uh, but um, it's funny because when I saw this first, and then um, and we'll get into the only me, but um, when I got to the only me. I feel like it, it it filled a lot of missing spaces in my head. Mm-hmm. I feel like if someone starts with this film first, they're going to be like me. Whereas when you started with To The Only Me, I feel like when you got to this film, you you, you kind of was already on board with what was going on. You were just following the Kiyomi in this world. Right. So a lot of like the aspects of like the scientific kind of aspects of it are mm-hmm. more explained into the only me who loved you. So right. when they're kind of going through cool. it, everything with this, I understand what they're talking about, but the right. major difference is mostly with, uh, it, it comes down to Kazuni is the major difference that it kind of threw me for a curveball. Cause I will say when Same. watching this one, it, because I watched this one second, she does have a part in the other movie but her part in mm-hmm. this movie is much wider and yeah. as a result i when she first popped in because her hair color is even different between the two movies i didn't realize it was the same person at first it took me a little bit with her like talking about the studies and everything for me to go oh okay that's the same person that's the person from the other okay i see where this is so this is happening earlier now instead of late okay i'm following what's going on here 
and right. their relationship watching that grow in a little bit like that it i will admit like a part of me is like yeah but that's not the one for him like what's it it seems more forced that they're like a couple because ah, in my so head change your perception right got you it's so okay. instead of it being shiori because in my head shiori is the one for him shiori is the one that he'll always love and she'll always love him but here it's like because she's not an aspect in his life it she doesn't exist kazuni takes that place and throughout the entire thing it's like okay their their love kind of feels forced because it's not it's not the love it's not the true love you know right it's not the love it's not the love (laughs) (laughs) right i get that i get that and um yeah and i'll speak to that when we when we speak on to the only me but i can understand that um so when you're so so what did you feel about that ending so with the ending i gotta say i absolutely love the ending of this obviously because i did the second movie first and then this movie i feel like Mm. this one's a more definitive that it's difficult i i really like the way that this ended but the ending of the other one i think flows better into leading into it and i was kind of hoping like as soon as this movie starts it kind of ties very quickly into the end of the other movie and i was expecting the end of this movie to tie very quickly into the beginning of the other movie and it didn't quite do that as well in my opinion at least when it came to the two um see now with this this with this ending I feel like it was a nice emotional revelation, but um, see, both endings have their strong points, and we'll, we'll talk about to the only me. But I feel like this ending, I like the I like the emotional revelation of it. I like the letter that was it was it Kasuni from that world read from the other Kasuni. Yeah. So the Kasuni from the world for to the only me who loved you wrote the letter while she parallel shifted during the nighttime so it wouldn't have any like adverse effects or cause any uproar or anything like that and wrote mm-hmm. the letter explaining everything and then because I, I like how she that's our intro to the story that's happening in the other movie is we're given that very bare bones here's everything that's been happening i you know i love him i know that you love him because that's the feeling i know that i'd have in every universe and i need you to do this whether you trust me or not know that this is something that he would want from my universe so i know he'd want it in your universe as well it's i i like that it's very nice. Mm. It's cute. It's an interesting way of being able to communicate with each other that actually plays into the parallel ships because otherwise she wouldn't know what was going on. That this right. is literally the only way. And I love how the letter even starts. I'm sorry I'm writing you this letter in your own body or I'm borrowing your <laughs> body to write you this letter it, because uh. it's yeah, that's what she's doing. She's literally borrowing an alternate version of her body. <laughs> in order to write a letter to that version of herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, I like it. Um, I, I thought it was cool. I, I thought I thought it was a nice emotional revelation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, when it all comes down to it, I mean, I'm... Um, do, do you got anything else you want to say about this film? Uh, about this one? Yeah. Yes, but I think we got to start talking about the other one, and then we'll kind of bounce... Between we'll them, bounce, we'll bounce back and forth. Yeah. Uh, okay. 
Yeah, when I see when I think of this movie, man, going into this one cold without seeing the other one, um, off the top, I gotta give this. Uh, I feel like it's very good. Some questions were still kind of unanswered for me, and I, I it kind of changed my view of the film a little bit. Like, okay, maybe the second film will explain some more things to me. But as a romance film, I think it's cool. Um, as a multiverse film, I feel like feel like it lacks in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess a three point five. Uh, so watching this as the second film, I I would say this is a four out of five. I think it supplements the other film very well. I like the characters. Mm. I like a lot of the kind of aspects that it brings to the table and everything for some of those kind of what if scenarios and everything like that. And it plays with some of those emotional notes very well. Some are lackluster. It does kind of even between the two films, it doesn't give some information that I would love to see. Maybe some of that's in the third book that hasn't been adapted. But it, as this film stands, I think on its own, if you're not looking at it as like a multiversal part one of two movie that you can watch in any order, I think mm. it's a standard. It's a four out of five kind of movie. You know, it has mm. everything that you kind of are expecting or you would want from like a romance movie, including like a cutesy little ending and a, a little bit of a sci fi twist in it as well. Mm. In that regard, I, I think it accomplishes what it's trying to do. For the most part. OK, OK, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, all right. Uh, time to move on. And that brings us to. To the only me who loved you. Uh, once again, same director and writer as the previous movie. This time, no, take different a- directors. Oh, is it a different director in this one? Yep. Uh, Kenichi Kasai directed this one. Ah, see, I same didn't realize writer, it was a different director for this one. But in this movie, we are taking place in a different parallel universe where we follow, once again, Kiyomi. This time, he has decided to go with his father after the divorce of his parents. And in doing so, he is brought to the research institute that his father works at. The, what is it? The Imaginary Science Research Institute, which I love the name of. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Right. And... It, by doing so, the movie starts off by explaining what the idea of imaginary realities are, which mm. is think of life as a bubble. And whenever you make a choice, the bubble splits. It's still going toward the surface of you know the water and everything like that. And you can see the bottom of the ocean as the past and the top of the ocean that the bubble is going toward as the future. And as you're going up toward the future, the bubble splits and every split is a different choice that you made that causes a new timeline to be created or a new parallel universe to be created. The bubbles can still be going the same way as each other and going the same except for that one difference that was made. And then eventually bubbles shift to a point that you have one universe that is completely different than another and so many steps away. And it kind of explains like that's where the idea of like steps between universes come from. You have Mm -hmm. one. The next bubble is one step. You know, bubble after that is two, et cetera, et cetera. So by having that explained at the beginning of this movie, it already has the scientific kind of like explanation of what to expect right away. Something that the first movie does not really get into at all until Mm. about like halfway through. 
here it's jumped right into it because he's with his father who is literally studying this. At this institute, though, he also meets the daughter of the director of the company, Shiori. And Mm -hmm. growing up together and everything at the institute and kind of getting to know each other, they kind of fall for each other and decide that they kind of want to spend their lives together. And Mm -hmm. in doing so, they come to find out that their parents want to get married themselves, which would make them step-siblings, which would make it so they wouldn't be able to live their lives together in the same loving way. So they decide that they want to travel to another parallel universe in which they can always be together, no matter what. Which they think of the only place that they could do that is a universe in which their parents, both, neither sets of parents, got divorced. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, when they travel to that world, following them traveling to it, Shiori ends up getting hit by a car and passing away during the shift. So Kiyomi ends up coming back, but Shiori does not. And she perpetually ends up being a ghost stuck at that intersection where she passed away in another parallel universe that only Kiyomi can see. And that is how this movie starts in terms of like how these movies start it completely different. I love how each movie being a multiversal movie I can honestly say after I watched this one, I expected the second one to be from maybe like Shiori's point of view with everything that Mm. she dealt with after her death and everything like that, because her story is very interesting in this. And I'd love to see more of it that just isn't really explained at all. Mm -hmm. And I expected given the titles of the movies and everything. Oh, that's, that's what the next movie is going to be about. It's going to be like the same events from her perspective. So, when the movie was basically a completely different retelling of Kiyomi's life, I was kind of thrown off by that at first. Cause I was like, this isn't what I was expecting it to be, but mm. I'm not upset because I didn't know what to expect. I just assumed based off of this movie and knowing it was a multiversal movie, but I like that they actually both take a different story approach to telling these characters instead of just going, Oh, here's a perspective right. difference. I feel like the first film, um, not the first, not the first film, but uh, let, let, let me rewind all the way back. So when I watched this film, this was my second in line. Mm-hmm. I expected to see more of a Kazuni. You know what I mean? I expected to see like, okay, now we're gonna see Kazuni's uh, uh, point of view. Where the first, where to ever be you, I've loved before was more from Kayomi's point of view. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna see Kazuni, but now we know that the main constant between both of the films is is mainly Kiyomi, yeah, and, and it's based on whether he's he 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 chooses to live with his mother, or live with his father. That uh, dictates the rest of his life, or dictates how his life goes in, in in each of the worlds. So with this one, man, I gotta say, hopping into this one, uh, way better pace for me than to mm-hmm. ever you I've loved before. Like uh, his relationship with uh, Shori. Uh, and, and the whole uh, issue with, you know, Ghost on the Crosswalk, it filled in a lot of holes that I that I had with To Every You I've Loved before. Like, it, it showed what happened when he when he jumped into Kiyomi that was in the world where, uh, you know, you know was still alive and granddad was dead. Uh, it showed the missing gap in that. 
And yeah, there was like winks to the other film where, you know, Kazumi for a big chunk of this film is just in the background, mm-hmm. in the foreground. Like when he's looking at the grades and he walks away and she like looks after him, like, you know, kind of jealous that he beat her. And um, but she's still in the foreground. She doesn't become a factor until later on in the film. And whereas into every you I love before, Shori is kind of like in the foreground a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, I like that, man. I, I like that a lot. And um, yeah, I, I thought this was a, like a much stronger film to me. Like uh, I, I want to say entertainment wise and story wise. Like um, the thing between him and Shori, I don't know if this is a cultural thing, but I mean, what, what, again, they're young too. But the whole running away thing, and then I, I know this isn't meant to be funny, but like like when he gets sad that, you know, Shori's body kind of, you know, she has con- she she has consciousness, but she well, no, she doesn't have consciousness, but she's still alive. You know, basically mm-hmm. she's in a, like a like a coma. Um, I like when his dad is kind of emotional, like, you know, we were going to get married, but you, you guys still could have got married, too. There's no law against that. Yeah. I was like, I know that's not supposed to be funny, but, but that's so funny. Like, it, like I just, yeah. It's the whole thing of just having being so young and naive that they right. basically go, well, we'll be brother and sister now, so we can't do that. <laughs> You know, we can never be with each other, not realize like it, it's more of a bloodline thing than, you know, a right, stepbrother, right. stepsister kind of thing. Uh, I, I did l- kind of laugh at the idea that, yeah, they're kids. As soon as like a problem comes along, what's the easiest solution for them? We'll just run away because if we never see our parents get married to us, they're never married and we're still not stepbrother and stepsister with each other. You know, right. and even the idea of them like going to a parallel universe together it's like okay that's an interesting concept what if two people parallel shift together to a different place and mm-hmm. that's something that isn't explored in the other movie at all we do have the explorer with uh, kazuni kind of parallel shifting to the one universe where their son didn't die but we don't have an idea of them shifting together kind of thing now what makes kiyomi like I, I know Shori gets ran over by a car, but what makes Kiyomi like hop back into into their world? Like, so like he, he, when yeah. they go into the pod, the way that it works in order to bring them to another kind of parallel universe is mm-hmm. he has to think of something he wants. You know, what does he want? Mm-hmm. That's how he got brought to the one universe in which, uh, you know, is still alive. And I, I love how we get, you know to see and everything because by from my perspective that was my first introduction to it happening so when i saw the second movie and saw it from the other kiyomi's perspective that all of a sudden he just like fell into this tube and he's just confused looking around like what the where am i what just happened Mm -hmm. and that is the first kind of way of telling what happens when somebody parallel shifts because in this movie because you already had that information by this part of the movie, I don't think you realize the rest of to me that loved you never explains what happens to somebody's body whenever they parallel shift. Um, what happens to their body? Yeah. So when uh, their consciousness goes somewhere else, what happens to the consciousness of the person they swapped with? What happens to their mm. body in that universe? It's never explained in this movie. 
The only th- oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, by seeing that in the beginning of the other movie, you know, it's like, oh, OK, that's how that's explained. But for this movie, it's not really explained. So to go back to your question, though, of why did he come back? He wished for a universe in which they could both be together. And the moment she died, it no longer became that universe. So he was sent back. Oh, oh see, now that makes sense to me. Okay, okay. Oh, that makes it more sad, too. Um, listen, the, the, I love the way this film uh, portrays this uh, parallel universe of Kiyomi because he basically becomes a shell of himself mm-hmm. as he grows up, right? As he's dealing with the um, the tragedy of, uh, you know, losing... Um, you know, he, the love of his life, you know, he gets older. He excels more at his job. He's just like, you know, kind of a slob now. He doesn't shave, doesn't mm-hmm. really shower that much. And um, I love when Kazuni kind of drops in as his assistant. And uh, I, I love how um, his stepmom, who was uh, Shori's mother, uh, she goes, uh, look, we're going out tonight. Uh, you know, go shave. Like, you know, go shave, take a shower. Yeah. You know, like we, we don't want you to be alone. And um, I like that sweet moment between them where she kind of says to him, like, you know, I don't I don't want my son to be alone. So by this point, they are closer now. She is kind of yeah. like a stepmom to him. I, I like that little character note. Yeah. And t- even to go back a little bit, the difference between the t- Kiyomi's that are going through classes and everything, because Kiyomi in to every you I've loved before is kind of he sees himself as an outcast. He doesn't believe that he can make friends or do anything and everything like that. It's not until mm-hmm. Kazuni kind of approaches him that that kind of changes. And to me, to the only me who loved you, kill me more doesn't care about that. He is so single focused on this one goal of, you know, get through school. I got to get good grades because that way I can get it, start working at this facility and everything. Because after the event and everything, he says that he wants to help in any way he can. Because prior to Mm -hmm. this, he made a promise to Shiori that if she ever needed him for anything, he would make sure to help her in any way possible. And she made the same promise to him. This was kind of their thing as they're going through. And I, I also love the moment that they're making that promise is they're on that kind of... I guess the mountain range looking over the city and mm-hmm. saying like, Oh, we'll have to come back here when, you know, the lights are beautiful and everything like that. And, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we make this promise to each other. That same mountain range is where he proposes to Kazuni in to every you I've loved before. I didn't catch that. Yeah. I didn't catch that. So that's the same place yeah. that uh, he made the promise to Shiori is the same place he finally propose, proposes to Kazuni in the other universe. You know, it's funny that um, when you watched To Every You I Loved Before, you said, uh, that's not who he belongs with. Yeah. He doesn't belong with Kazuni. He, lo- he belongs with uh, Shiori. I had the opposite effect watching this. I mm-hmm. felt like watching him and Kazuni in, in To Every You I Loved Before, I was like, okay, opposites attract. That, that, that's cool with me. When I got to this and I saw him with Shori, I said, that's that looks like a deeper love to me. Mm-hmm. Like that that felt like a deeper love to me. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I know it was expected from my perception to change. And I guess that's based on who you are. But I looked at his relationship with Shori and I said, that looks like a stronger love to me. Yeah. Like, even yeah. though the love is more like a 
it it's it's young love yeah, yeah between yeah, yeah. them and but the fact that he literally dedicates his life to keeping the promise that he makes to her and stuff it's like yeah that's more powerful love it and definitely it, because this is the first kind of relationship i see with him because even when kazuni comes in i know that from your perspective you're like oh hey there she is uh, for right, me i'm right. like who's this bitch why is she here <laughs> yeah i mean i i had caught her earlier in the movie like and um and i expected her to catch up with him because um i think we get a glimpse of uh his life and what he was trying to do uh towards the end of to every you i've loved before right like like Uh, when like when that that letter is left yes so there is that glimpse of like the I guess it's the deep cut of this movie where it's like the summarization of this movie missing key details in five minutes. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Like, like. so I knew she was going to show up at one point. Yes. Uh, besides just being in the foreground, I said, okay, now she's showing up. And I love how she shows up in classic fashion. Like, uh, you know, uh, when they go out to the... Uh, Karaoke to the, bar. To, right, right. Which is so odd to me. I've never been in one of those uh he goes uh you want to you want to do karaoke and she's like uh look let's just cut the crap here all right <laughs> i'm i'm better than you uh you just got a leg up in the world and i'm here to tell you we're equals i'm i'm not uh i'm i'm, I'm not beneath you mm-hmm. like i say okay that's the kasuni i know yeah that's the kasuni i know <laughs> meanwhile my perspective of that scene was how dare you <laughs> <laughs> he is dedicating his life to save the love of his life and you come in here and you're like you're nothing <laughs> right right yeah i um i like that i like the way she was introduced uh i kept i probably would see myself looking at it the same way as you if i just saw this film first like who, who is this woman mm-hmm. like she came out of nowhere um but it makes sense with me watching to every you before um yeah, man, I just I I like I really like this movie, man. I like how as it goes on, <laughs> I like the multiple jokes where he's at the crossroads talking to Shuri and they're just having a natural conversation. And you see people turn their heads and look at him and look to him to to, to them, an empty space that he's talking to. I remember this one guy staring at him and his girlfriend goes, come on, let's go. Like kind of like. Oh, yeah, away. he scooches her closer to him and they kind of sidestep a bit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, not that. Well, th- is that what happened? I just know a guy stopped and looked at him and looked at him talking to an empty space. And, and oh, yeah. the, the woman he was with was like, let's go. I mean, there's you a know. couple scenes where that happens. I could be thinking of a different yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be thinking of a different one. But uh, yeah, I, I yeah. also love that uh, it when it comes to him talking to her and everything like that, he continually comes to visit her. And you see this as the movie goes on and as he's getting older, she stays the same age. She's a ghost right. of who she was when she passed away, stuck in that same spot. And every so often, Kiyomi shows up to kind of talk to her for a moment and say that he'll be back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know what I like? I, you know what I like about the parents, uh, Kiyomi's dad and, and Shuri's mom, is that you can kind of get a glimpse why why they're divorced. You can kind of get a glimpse why Kiyomi's, Kiyomi's dad is divorced mm-hmm. from his mom because he literally put, puts his life into his work. Yes. Um, he loves his son. We, we can tell he loves his son, but we, he probably didn't have enough attention to give to his wife as much as he did towards his work. 
Uh, he lives in, in his office and Shuri's mom lives in the office. Mm-hmm. That's what probably made them. That's what probably drew them together and made them fall in love. Um, they love their kids, but they just love their work uh, more than they love their spouses. So I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that's what happened. But, you know, uh, what I was going to say was I like how they don't take in grief the, the natural way you would expect it. Like mm-hmm. Kiyomi's dad is sad. Shuri's mom is sad, but she looks at everything so. Um, she looks not- at it very logically. She doesn't yes. take emotion into account. So when her daughter is literally dead, and it's basically the person that caused it is standing right in front of her, she goes the logical route of, "You guys had this deep connection. We didn't see it, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. You thought this was the only way. This happened. It was an accident." And I love Kiyomi's response is, why don't you hate me? You should hate me, yell at me, hit me, do something. Show right. that you actually care about your daughter the same way that I did. And I love that. It's like that breakdown of just she starts tearing up because she's like, I do. It's just I know that you're not the person to hate. Putting the mm. hatred on you isn't the logical step here. And his yeah, father that's, that's has the same scene. thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a powerful scene, um, and I like the way it was written. Yeah, I I, I like that because they they they're not. It's not like they're emotionless people. They just have a way of processing emotion how they would um, a scientific problem. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and, and that's kind of not the way most people process emotions. So I, I like the way that there's a there's an emotional clash there. I feel like that that scene is played very well. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of like how towards the end of the movie, like this guy, again, he's, he dedicates his entire life to saving Shuri. Um, and I like how towards the end of the movie, him and Kazuni, who are lovers in another world, are very good friends. Like, you know, like uh, she chooses to, like, follow him on this journey and help him mm-hmm. save his friend. Or, you know, try, try to do a time shift or what, whatever they were trying yeah, to do. Yeah, the time yeah. shift. Basically, yeah, she agrees to absolutely help him in every way that she can in order to help Shiori because she sees that this is what he wants. And I also love that throughout the movie, it's kind of alluded to that he's a workaholic. Like he doesn't have a Mm -hmm. life outside of work because his central focus is literally trying to find a way to protect Shiori and bring her back in some way, shape or form or to at the very least make it so she's not stuck in this perpetual existence and non-existence at the same time. And Mm -hmm. I also like during the entire time that he's doing these experiments by going to other kind of parallel worlds and finding Shiori always there in the crosswalk, same place Mm -hmm. every single time. And eventually after so many jumps, he goes to talk to her And she remembers that conversation from that reality in the next one, showing that she's connected to him very literally, no matter what Mm -hmm. universe they go to, that it is the same her that also travels with him because they were in that pod together when they traveled. So she is literally stuck no matter where he goes. He can never be in a universe where she exists because the her that is with him will always take president over whoever is there prior. But only me who loved you. Yeah. It makes, makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. And I, and I love how it explains the beginning of to every you 
almost perfectly. Like where, you know, Kayomi's an old man in a wheelchair with the um with a uh a uh a, a, a um I, I I don't know how you would say this, a life ending disease or a um he's uh, he's basically coming to the end of his life. Technology has yeah. gotten to the point that they can predict when you're going to pass on, even from like natural cause, I believe. And he was told mm-hmm. that he has a couple days. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. He's got a critical thing going on. And he kind of comes across her and she goes, uh, oh, oh, you're here for me. And when he mm-hmm. finally touches her, she she disappears. Um, I love that this film explains what happened then. Because yes. when I saw that in the movie, I was like, okay, cool. And then she never showed up again. <laughs> I was like, so so what was that lady? What, what, what was that? And I like how this film goes in depth with how that all is. Um, yeah, man, really, really heartbreaking ending, dude. Uh, but I, I thought it was so well done. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Because I, I like how this movie literally ties directly into the beginning of the next. Mm-hmm. And for me watching it in this order, it just flowed perfectly because of that. Uh, mm-hmm. The other movie really doesn't have that same flow back into this movie. But, you know... At the end, I, it kind of does have that moment where it kind of like explains a little bit, and then I feel like it has a dis. I feel like it has a, a a small backstory it gives you for that, so that when you watch this movie next, speak, speaking from my experience, mm-hmm. it go you go oh, okay now now I see what's going on. Where I I agree if I watch this first and then to every you, I kind of would have had a little bit more. Um, I, I would have been way more informed watching to every you than I was informed watching to, to the only me. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, because that's the way that I watched it. And this movie literally ends with him waking up or showing the parallel universe version of him waking up, going in the wheelchair. And I'm from my perspective, I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. Did did it work? Did he actually travel somewhere else? What's going on? And then you have the you know, voiceover because you don't really see Shiori. You just have the voiceover of hearing them of, Hey, you know, do you need help? I, I'm nobody mm. important. You know, I, I'm just here to help. And it's like, Oh, she said the line. This is a happy ending. And then we get to the other movie and find out, Oh, it's not the ending. I was expecting it to be. It's different, but it's good at the same time. Mm. But yeah, this the way that this movie ends and everything, because obviously he goes through all the research with Kazuni and everything like that. I, I really love that part. It's nice. I didn't see it as romantic. I just kind of saw it as like two people dedicated to their craft the same way that his dad and the director of the company were kind of dedicated to their craft and trying yeah, I- to f- solve this thing to help the love of his life. Yeah, and I like how she says, uh, you know, congratulations, man. You you, you beat me again. Like, yeah. You know, hats off. And he goes, huh? He, he says, you beat me. Like, I, I couldn't figure this out. You could. Mm. You know? Yeah. And, and yeah, to him, it's not a contest. You know, right. he's literally just trying to solve a way to save the love of his life. It's not something, like, from her perspective, it's, it's a race to get to this solution. From his perspective, it's getting to this solution by any means possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, man, I think I think it's a very uh, strong, uh, bittersweet ending. And um, I would uh, I would honestly give this uh, I'm leaning towards a four point five, but I'm, I'm letting it marinate for a while. I'm at a four. Yeah, I think this one stands at a solid four out of five as well. Same thing as the other movie. It gives just enough detail to get you in place. And having this be the first introduction to these two movies for me, I think it gave me just enough information that I enjoyed the movie. It gave me everything that I wanted between the two characters and everything. Kazuni's there. I could care less about her, whatever. She's a lab assistant. That's cool and all. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it, the kind of like romance between him and Shiori. It's like the classic what everybody wants in a romance kind of movie. While mm-hmm. it does the romance, it does the sci fi. I think this one actually does the romance and sci fi better than the other movie. Tip straight up because the romance between him and Shiori is a lot more powerful Again, that could be my perspective because I watched this one first and Kazuni's just kind of there. And mm. the sci-fi element is definitely a lot stronger in this one as opposed to uh, to every you I've loved before. So mm. I think between the two, this one is a great supplement to that first one, but also standalone. I think it hits the notes that the movie's trying to hit a lot better. But at the same time, that second movie does give enough added material that it does, you know, amplify everything that's happening in this movie as well. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd agree. I'd agree. Um, yeah, so I think if we if we're going toe to toe here, uh, I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with uh, to the only me who loved you. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go the same way when it comes between these two movies. But if you're going to watch one of these movies, watch the other. It, it comes down to it. The two movies oh, yeah. do intertwine enough. It It's not a perfect series of movies by any means. But when it comes to doing a multiversal movie, it's good. It has a good plot. It has a good kind of love story between the characters. You get to see the different perspectives of this guy's life, depending on what path he chose at the beginning with living with his mom Mm -hmm. or his dad and just the way that he grows from it and the way different person that he becomes due to the parental influence he has as his direct parental influence where on his mom's side, he's very academic. He's, you know, he has friends. He picks up on her traits of everything like that. On his father's side, he picks up on his traits of work. He picks up on his traits of dive in. You have a job to do. You're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, all right. Uh, pretty much wraps it uh, on the way to uh, after show. All right. So heading into after show topics, man. Uh, what have you seen lately? So to keep up with the theme of uh, anime movies, I did catch the latest movie, uh, Suzume, which has just hit theaters. Uh, That one is, if you're going to see this movie, I highly recommend seeing it in Dolby or IMAX, depending on your preference, if you Mm -hmm. have the opportunity to, because this movie basically is a very beautiful movie when it comes to it 
its aesthetic. The animation on it is absolutely fantastic, as we know, because it's the same director, right? You know, as uh, Your Name and, you know, Garden of mm-hmm. Words and everything like that that we've talked about prior on uh, this series. And it it's another great anime movie from him. I don't think it's his best. I think it still follow follows below your name in terms of like ranking his movies but Mm. it's one of those ones that's hard to describe because the literal description of it is basically suzume is a girl and she runs into a boy and they travel around and it's like oh it's so much more than that but it's spoilers to go into any more detail than that (laughs) Mm. all right all right that sounds cool um yeah, I, I've been hearing things about that movie, man. I've been hearing a lot of people uh, anticipating it. Uh, so uh, me listening to you, uh, you're still so you're still saying it's it's still kind of worth it to see it. Yes, absolutely, it's worth it to see. I would love to be able to say more on it, but literally saying anything about it would be like spoiler territory. To totally understand, <laughs> just because the marketing for it was so bare bones for it for good reason. Okay, okay, I got you, I got you. I um I saw well I I saw two films that we're probably gonna talk about in future episodes, so I don't want to touch on them too much. But um I saw Bo is Afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh pretty wild, man. Pretty wild. I've movie. been hearing amazing things about it. I haven't had a chance to catch it yet, but uh because we we we're probably planning on doing an episode on it, uh I want you to watch it first before I tell say anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um I saw Sizu, which was a pretty pretty wild action movie. Pretty wild action movie. Uh, have you heard of that one? I had heard of it, but I don't really know much about it other than it was one of the recent releases. Yeah, so it was about a man um, in 1940s Finland on the tail end of World War II. Um, you know, uh, he, he's in a he's in a barren land of Finland. Um, I got a spoiler free review on Eight Bit Waffles right now. So anyway, he comes across some gold. He's like a retired vet, you know, mm-hmm. like the war is behind him um, and he wants to, uh, you know, basically claim his gold. The only thing standing behind, standing in front of him to claim his riches is a bunch of uh, Nazis, you know, killing and torching everything in their wake. So he has to do what he does best and, you know, become a one man killing machine again. And uh, great, man. Uh, pre- pretty, pretty solid action film, man. It's a very brisk 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh When's the last time you saw an action film in, at 90 minutes, bro? Yeah, that sounds... I mean, coming off the tail of John Wick 4, which was, <laughs> what, uh, seven and a half hours, I believe? <laughs> right, right. Somewhere around there. <laughs> Seriously. It feels like every... And I want to talk about this, too. Um, I caught a sneak peek of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And uh, I want to talk about that when, when you see it, too. But... Um, I was gonna say, man, I, I don't remember the last superhero film I saw that wasn't two hours and thirty minutes plus. Yeah, most movies it feels like they need to hit that two hour and fifteen minute plus mark in order to be considered a good movie. Now, like the two movies that we just talked about today, they clock in at like an hour and a half and an hour and forty five minutes. Oh, so it's just it's just it's just perfect timing. I know it's it, perfect timing. It, it, does everything that it's looking to do it does it well and it ends it doesn't have fluff and everything and a lot of movies now it just it feels like they fluff it up in order to hit that point 
Uh, I will say, I think like John Wick 4, which I joked has a long run time, is one of the exceptions where I feel like that was two movies that they were just like, yeah, just put them together. <laughs> I think I feel like they probably did do that. Um, but it's it's looking like they may go for a five. Like like Keanu said, like, well, you know, if the story's there and, you know, if 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 the fans really want it, I mean, we'll we'll do it. Um, I'm hoping that's true, but I'm okay with them leaving it there. Mm. Uh, dude, I think John Wick Four ruined action films for me, man. <laughs> like you can't like enjoy watch... action films anymore. <laughs> dude, I feel like when the bar is set that high in this day and age, and I'm watching an action film now, I'm like, yeah, that was good, but it wasn't John Wick Four though. Yeah, but it's not holding up to John Wick. <laughs> Right, right. It doesn't help. It doesn't hold up to the fire gun scene. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that ruined action films for me, man. Like Dark Knight ruined superhero films. Mm. Like, I feel like that ruined action films, man. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I I know the feeling one hundred percent. For sure, for sure. Um. All right, all right. What what news we got? Um. Anything happening in the news lately? Uh, not uh, that I, I can. I mean, we have everything going on with Jonathan Majors right now, which yeah, there's new allegations against him now. Nothing's been really concrete evidence. All of its allegations at this point from last that I saw, but right, it's right, right. It, they're starting to pile up, and it's no longer becoming a oh, this is a one-off thing. It, it's becoming. It, it's like he's speed running being thrown out of Hollywood because everything that happened with Ezra Miller, I know that people are talking about like, Oh, the flash movie looks so good and everything, but Ezra Miller and everybody's going, well, Jonathan majors is literally speed running it faster than the flash here. uh, getting kicked out of Hollywood. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how that all goes. I, I just, the fact that Marvel puts so much into Jonathan Majors as like the big bad of the future, like two phases of the mm-hmm. Marvel Cinematic Universe. And then all this is coming out. It's like, oh, that was a bad bet. <laughs> they 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 played all their cards and they ended up getting all twos and a three. <laughs> Meanwhile, people across the table are holding all the kings and aces. You know, I'm I'm just going to. Until I see something happen in the court of law, I'm just I'm just gonna hold off on this. I mean, I, I'm just gonna hold I'm just gonna hold off on this because I I'm not saying stuff didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying like you know we know how it goes when one person says something, things kind of come out the woodwork. Right. I don't know. In high school, you pushed me. Yeah. <laughs> like like what? That guy and, owes again, me twenty I, bucks. Right. He owes me five dollars. Yeah. You know I. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hold off a little while and just on, on my judgment, um, you know. And, and I'm just gonna really just see what happens. I know he got dropped by his uh by his talent, yeah, uh, agency. But uh, we'll, yeah. we'll just see what happens. It, at it's this point. very much a wait and see. There's a lot of allegations coming out, but like I said, there's been nothing concrete or any definitive decisions being made. And Disney as a whole has been very silent on it. They have yet to comment on it whatsoever. So we'll kind of see how that goes. But it is funny kind of reading people's reactions to it and just going, wow, he's really he had such a great start with everything with like Ant-Man, Loki, Creed three, you know, 
and right. all this hit and it's like uh, he might be like the first person to you know shoot up in popularity is the same year that he completely down spikes it <laughs> i mean maybe uh well you think so he I, he might be he might really think about it if it happens and everything like comes out and everything like that and there are decisions yeah in terms of like having a career start and finish in the same year through like multiple movies and everything because he i'm not gonna say jonathan major just started like acting and everything like that but his major come up was with you know his portrayal in loki and then creed 3 and then you had ant-man and the wasp in it's beyond that it's like okay now it's starting to tank because of all of this and if it continues to tank and doesn't bounce back yeah that's a speed run for having a career high and low in the same year yeah yeah i guess you're right on that one um yeah yeah uh speaking about the flash uh there's been some overwhelming uh uh positive reviews about the movie some people saying it's probably one of the best Superhero films of all time. Yeah, I don't believe that part, uh, but I can believe that it's a good movie. Because <laughs> you got to keep in mind, the people that are reviewing this aren't critics right now. It's It was premiered Fans. at uh, CinemaCon, which is a convention for people that run movie theaters and movie theater chains. And I don't think any movie premiere from CinemaCon, anybody's come out without going, oh, this is the greatest movie ever. This is the best movie I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. It changed my entire world's perspective because obviously the people that run theater chains are going to come out of any movie that they're privy to being able to see early and going, oh, this was amazing. This is a cinematic masterpiece for the ages. Anybody that doesn't see this movie is an idiot. <laughs> well, uh, OK, I, I, I hear you on that. Um, <laughs> one person I do know that actually is a critic. Uh, that saw the movie. I saw his response on Twitter, and it, it was overwhelmingly positive. So there was some critics there. Oh, okay. there were some critics there. Um, dude, this is I, this is the first year I ever heard of CinemaCon. I didn't even know this existed. Uh, CinemaCon is also where Into the Spider Verse premiered. So okay. it's and there was another movie prior to that that I was really keeping an eye on that premiered there as well. So I've known about it for a couple of years. But yeah, okay. for the most part, it is a very low kind of knowledge kind of convention, mostly because the entry to it is, I want to say, in like the five digit range for the entry level tickets, because it's a convention made to showcase like the future of cinema technology for movie mm. theaters and like the distribution of technology and new technology and stuff like that for people that operate theaters. So it's not meant to be like, oh, We'll just go there as double feature versus. We're not the clientele for it, <laughs> right? Yeah, because I know like uh, it basically distributors uh basically showcase what new movies that they're they're coming out with, right? Yep, it's also where a lot of deals happen for distribution of movies. So like Paramount will be there to be like, here's the agreements to show this movie in these formats that will work with different theater chains to make this happen. Like, a lot of those Mm. deals happen at this convention. Okay. All right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, All right. Cool, cool, cool. 
So uh, how is this last season of Barry going for you, man? I know this is your this, this is your jam. Uh, I'm liking it so far. It's definitely a different story than the previous ones, because this one obviously starts with the idea of him being a killer, being more known to the public eye. So it's taking a mm. different stand with everything that's going on. But I, I'm liking it. I, I still think that the comedy writing's on point. Everything about it is still exactly what I expect from Barry. Bill Hader is still absolutely fantastic as Barry. His acting mm-hmm. is nonstop in it. It's great. I'm loving it still. I can't wait to kind of see how this series concludes. Yeah, I kind of want to get into it. Uh, I started the first season, but I got sidetracked, so I, I do plan on uh, finishing that because I, I have heard great things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm, I guess you could tell I'm of the mind that when a show ends, then I get into it yeah. unless I was already <laughs> in it from the jump. Like, that's why with Secession, I hear so many great things about Secession. I'm just waiting for Secession to end. That, that you way know, you can like, just binge through it. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I've heard good things about the show. Absolutely uh but yeah man um all right so i think that does it you know y'all uh welcome uh welcome back to dfv thank you for uh joining us on another episode um oh quick quick thing quick plug i want to tell you i did an episode with somebody um a nice friend of mine named nick uh on a show called uh bad movies we love and it was an episode on biodome uh yeah so you know uh check that out and we might have nick as a guest on a future episode as well um but uh, that was a pretty fun episode i had a fun time with him and uh we just talked about how you know talked about the great american masterpiece that's biodome i mean uh, yeah <laughs> pretty much pretty much <laughs> uh all right y'all like share and subscribe uh don't forget to keep watching movies don't forget to keep uh rating movies and uh take care